a Highline podcast. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. My friends, it's been a while, actually. Hello. So much has been happening at Fourth of July and all sorts of stuff. How 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 are you guys? What are you drinking? Fill me in. What's the four one one? Well, to fill you in, I'm drinking a Pacific Ale from. Well, the name is Dawn Patrol, which I feel like is a cool name. Yeah, it is. I don't know what that means. It's very powerful. Yeah, yeah. isn't it? I love it. It's from Aslan Brewing Company, which no, I do not know if it's owned by Christians, but it is from, uh, oh yeah, it's from Bellingham. It, they're pretty good. Excellent. I am enjoying a blonde ale by Jeremiah Johnson Brewing. Ooh, nice. Yes. Very nice. Cold beer for hot summers. I mean, we've been getting a ton of thunderstorms lately here in Montana, but uh, mm. it's still very hot in between those storms, so... Got to enjoy the cold beer. Got to enjoy the yes, you do the crisp ale. Yes, you do. Love it. Yeah. Oh, Emily, what are you? Summer like a crisp ale. I know, Emily. What are you sipping on? I am sipping on a Coke, cause y'all, this pregnancy is. Mama has like a week left. Me, (laughs) I have one week left. So actually, when this episode is released. Little Thea Alice Reading House will be one week old. I'm scheduled. To have a C-section on the 14th. Whoa. And the day we are recording is the 9th. So I'm five days away Whoa. from having a baby. Wait, the 14th of July? Yes. That's my wedding anniversary. Wait. Yeah, I was going to say. I know. And it's my cousin Stephanie's birthday. Oh, my gosh. Well. What a joyous day. Did you guys. Isn't that amazing? I don't want to. I don't want to pull away from the joyous moment we're having about Emily's baby. But did you know that. Um, Alex and Katie Falcongrove also got married on July 14th and we didn't know it. No. Yeah. That's very yeah, Stephen's weird. childhood friend, long lost <gasps> friend. That's wild. Childhood wow. friend. We didn't talk for two decades. We started talking again and we learned that we got married on July 14th together. Okay. That <laughs> is really cool. Honestly, that is amazing. That is pretty wild. It's a big deal. And now Thea <laughs> is going to be the newest addition to July 14th. July 14th is like a Highline holiday now. Big day. Yeah. Hello. Yes. Oh, Big I like yes. I like a Highline holiday. I love the sound of that. Yes, thank you. Yeah, That's you're welcome. Catchy. You take that one. <laughs> Man, Emily, I'm going to miss you on the podcast. I mean, I know we have a whole episode ahead of us, but I know. Oh, congratulations on having a child. My thank goodness. Thank you. We are so excited. We're so ready. Um and I know I'm going to go a little crazy being gone and not interacting with adults all the time, but I am going to enjoy all of the craziness that motherhood has in store for us. So it'll be nice. And there will be pictures, I'm sure. I guarantee it. Lovely. I love that. But 
I wanted, since this is my last episode for a while, and I totally forgot that it was my choice of an episode, (laughs) I talked to my husband, Alex, and said, Alex, what do you think would be a really good topic for my last episode? What's the real banger I can go out with? Yeah. And I... We were watching um, Loki and like, no, you know, like, I don't want to spoil anything, but like, there's a scene where like someone dies. Right. And it was basically is basically a form of like capital punishment. Right. Like you're paying this price for a crime you've committed. Um, And Alex was like, what about that? And I just kind of paused for a moment and said, you know, nothing screams banger like capital punishment and Christianity. (laughs) Oh, my (laughs) <laughs> whoops so all right here we are banger this is, like this is mm, it's a bit on the nose i mean i'm not apologizing for it <laughs> so what interests you about a topic like this i think it's the idea of wanting justice and mm. how something as heavy of a topic as you know, abortion or same-sex marriage. And I think capital punishment is one that we would like to say universally, oh yeah, everyone disagrees with it. But then we have groups of people or individuals who stand by capital punishment and hold on to the identity as Christian. And so I think it's just something relative for us to talk about, especially with wanting to seek reform in the judicial system and with, you know, police brutality and the idea of playing judge and jury and executioner all at once. This is something that we need to discuss. It's very modern. It's also very ancient. And I think that's why I was Mm. kind of intrigued when Alex said, hey, you should talk about it. So there's no agenda, really. I just want to see where this goes. What are our thoughts? How do we view capital punishment in the Bible? Is it in the Bible? Is it not in the Bible? What do we as Christians today hold on to in regards to capital punishment? Because it's around. So what do we do with it? Hmm. I have always been confused. Like since young days in youth group, I've always been confused by the religious rights concern with like the utilization of capital punishment. Like in in circles I grew up in, many people like backed capital punishment and the death penalty is like, hey, you know, like they committed murder, so they should not, you know, they forfeited their right to life. And I was always confused mm-hmm. on two points. One is that the same people hate that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, yes, thank you, was like put to death by the state, you know, like effectively executed. Mm-hmm. We don't like that, but we're into it like in America for like prosecuting crimes happening in our world and in our soil. I say in our world as if like New Testament Bible is like speaking of Asgard or something. But what I mean is just like our culture has evolved and, you know, Mm -hmm. there seems to be a cognitive dissonance that we weren't able or willing to talk about. The logic also felt like it broke down because the very same Bible that gives us the, the gospel also gives us like Jesus saying, you've heard it said like, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But like I say, if someone steals your robe, give him your underwear as well. You know, like mm-hmm. it's, <laughs> I don't know. There's just, there's, there's a plain text reading of that verse. That's like, okay, life for life is actually not what Jesus would have like 
advocated for as a political strategy to deal with people who disagree or want to overthrow the state or anything like that or committed a crime against another individual, you know? Sure. Very confused by it. Very confused. Emily, I like that you brought up the point about justice Mm. because I think that no matter someone's views about capital punishment, I think that it does boil down to a sense of justice. Yeah. And like what is just, what is fair? Can anything be repaired or restored? Mm. And I think it's good to remember that. Like I think people who are anti- death penalty and like want to see it completely abolished like come from that sense of justice and i think that people who are die hard for oh my gosh i did not mean for that i think people who are die hard for <laughs> capital punishment like have this sense of justice although i'll admit steven i've heard people only before capital punishment because it's like the legal thing like kind of hearkening mm. to like a romans 13 kind of thing like, well we need to respect the authorities it's the law okay like, yeah but i literally mean like, we live in a democracy where like we could we could advocate to change the law if we don't think the law is right. Yeah. It's not like yeah. we live in a dictatorship like like Rome was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it was legal for Nero to use Christians as torches to light his parties. Yeah. But like that doesn't that didn't right. make it right either. Right. So there's like a disconnect between law and morality and justice. Right. It was legal to throw slaves and prisoners in the Colosseum with lions. But sure. That, and look at historically what crimes were punishable by death we have you know homicide striking one's parents kidnapping witchcraft bestiality violating the sabbath child sacrifice adultery incest male homosexual intercourse mind you it just says male homosexual intercourse and Hmm. what crimes are now punishable by death like do we like they're not the same today at least some of them aren't Wait, did you just read a list of ones that were somewhere listed in the Bible as death penalty yes. crimes? Okay. Yes. I didn't know all of those were. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I suppose. But that's, I mean, all Old Testament, right? Yes. Yeah. Which I guess is where I was headed. It was like, I suppose there is Old Testament precedent for the people of God executing effectively the death penalty upon people of the community who like break the law and like work in a manner like against the rules of the community. But I suppose there's a way if, if you approach the Bible in that way and you see that old Testament precedent for stone a man for having homosexual intercourse, then yeah, like that's, that's how God has been in the past. So why not? Why wouldn't that continue as we work for our sense of justice? I like our highlighting of, different conceptions of justice really fuel and like back Mm -hmm. our position on the action of the death penalty. But I mean, like for me, I read the old Testament completely differently now, almost in a form of like Greg Boyd's accommodationism. Like the, the law was built in such a way to essentially accommodate the culture of that day saying like, (sighs) I don't know if I can make a really good Well, the eye for an eye thing is a great example, like what you brought up Mm -hmm. earlier. Oh, yeah. Like the the equivalence of justice was like that being in the Mosaic law was more of like a balancing of the scales versus like other cultures who would like overcompensate. Like, Mm. sure. Like they would pay back tenfold what had been wronged. Wow. I don't know if that's true of like the death penalty kind of stuff, but that's how I've heard interpretations for eye for an eye tooth for a tooth that's why jesus is saying that he's like you've 
you've heard that balancing of the scales, but I'm saying go even further. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm saying like turn the other cheek, like let them heap another mm-hmm. thing on their side of the scales. Yeah. Are you familiar with the phrase? I have a mental image of the scales and I've seen what felt almost like a Greek icon or something like that. It's it's an ancient piece of art that has been essentially interpreted as like justice is blind and it's a woman holding the scales and the scales are perfectly oh, balanced. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You, so that's where we get the idea that justice is blind in that, like there's some objective metaphysical reality in which the universe is always going to balance, you know, and justice is going to be blind to the specifics because almost it almost feel, it feels like karma. Yeah, it does a little bit, a little bit. Did I ever tell you guys about the time I got in trouble as a youth group leader? Oh, no. What? No. <laughs> Story um, time. So I was a part of this youth group as a leader. I was an adult. Um, don't worry. This isn't uh, super scandalous. <laughs> um, no content warning. <laughs> um, so <laughs> we were like, we were trying to like teach kids. Like the focus was trying to prepare them as best we can for like faith as an adult. Right? Like. Some of them are going to go off to college, not as in a like, you're going to encounter the atheist professor and he's going to convince you that God doesn't exist. It wasn't like that. It was like, Mm. like you having your own faith and growing into it as an adult and like encountering different worldviews is going to be really different from growing up in the church. Sure. Like here's like some topics to wrestle with and like, here's how to think for yourself. Here's how to read the Bible in an intelligent, scholarly, informed way. Mm. So, you know, it was like stuff like that. Yeah. And this one guy who was a senior. He was already 18. Don't worry, this is not going to get weird. Um, I gave him a book, and it was this book called Executing Grace by Shane Claiborne. Yes. And his parents were not happy about that. Oh. And I felt really befuddled by that because, uh, I mean, you can have your own opinions of people and teachers, and I think like we absolutely have the right to be critical of opinions, but like to be upset that like there's another Christian opinion on an issue just like befuddles me. <laughs> like I think that goes for any issue, right? Like, cause like Christians have tons of opinions about any issue, but like you can't just act like they don't exist. Sure. Like even if you don't completely agree or don't completely agree with the reasoning or like whatever it is, you can't just like sweep it under the rug and pretend like they don't exist. And I feel like that's definitely true of capital punishment here. Like I read that book during college, actually, right before I took a class on society and punishment, we were reading like sociological works about like life and death issues. Mm, yeah. And actually, I've written, I've written, not written, I've read a couple of other works in that genre too, like from a more academic perspective. And to like read a Christian's point of view coming so against the death penalty was super eye opening for me. Like, I had no idea that there were like Christians out there who were trying to like work in legislation to like get this abolished in the US. Mm-hmm. Or like I had no idea that the US is the only other westernized country besides Iran and North Korea who still have the death penalty. Mm-hmm. Jesus, like, really? You just don't hear about that. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that wild? I hadn't heard that. What? I mean, there's other countries, but like those are the closest westernized countries to us. Yeah. That have the death penalty. Wow. I'm not necessarily westernized. I'm sorry, like, but like modern industrialized. Yeah, countries. put that into perspective, though. You know, that's why I like your point, Emily, about like this is a modern issue, but it's also an ancient issue. Right. It's one that's transformed over the years. It's one that has 
manipulated and shaped history and is continuing to do so even today as we see this idea of an eye for an eye in the 21st century. I mean, we do, truly. I think about how many times I've seen on the news, you know, oh, so-and-so has committed this horrible crime. Um, You hear all the details and it's just awful. And the gut reaction of people is, well, they need to die. They need to be punished. And that is the form of punishment that we truly feel will will resolve what Mm. exactly. That's well, I kind of me. get it in some ways. Like, I do think sometimes people are logically sound, even if I think it's an immoral stance. Right. No, like, exactly. Like, we're going to remove this person from society because they're a danger. That makes sense. That but, makes like, sense. The morality of killing someone is like a whole nother jump, I think. Yeah. I think it's also the idea of what gives other people the authority to take their life when they've taken someone's life, it's it's just this domino effect of life taking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That where does it end? Like, well, really, where does it end? And why is it that that's the case? I think politically it's to make, exa- you know, like the Romans used crucifixion to make examples of criminals to effectively keep the rest of the population in line. So it's almost like a fear tactic of being like, don't do what he did because now he is suffering indescribably you know suffocating on a cross don't do that don't be like that and it so was like wouldn't ideally one be enough though okay now you're just talking like a jesus person i guess <laughs> like like do shouldn't we only have to kill one person <laughs> like well i mean really like if it was as effective as you think but it, it's clearly not if we are still killing people <laughs> have you always been raised to have this opinion about the death penalty? Like, did you ever talk about this growing up in the Methodist church? Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Like, specifically opposed to it? Yes. Fascinating. What? I didn't start talking about the death penalty until I was, like, 19 or 20. Yeah, college for me. Yeah. Mm, Like, it it wasn't even a question. It was just, like, something we never talked about and something that we were, like, low-key in support of for like heinous crimes to punish heinous crimes. Wow. I do appreciate though how quickly, I mean like it it didn't even feel like a real like raveling or deconstruction for me when I discovered the book Executing Grace. I was literally like, oh yeah, of course. Of course it should be like this, right? Like um, Mm -hmm. like last year even I, I read Brian Stevenson's Just Mercy and the the oh, line oh yeah the line that sticks mm. out of that book is like why would we let someone's worst day define who they are in the eyes of the criminal justice system yeah. you know and that has that has been doing some righteous work in me as i think about that but the idea of the death penalty it wasn't even like i had to grapple with the issue it just seems so clearly the way of christ and the way that the church ought to like manifest in the world is to be against the death penalty think about how many have been punished by death wrongfully yeah in the u.s there's been many and like ever since dna exonerations have had the technology for that and like ever since we started doing that in the u.s um Mm -hmm. there have been some retroactive exonerations of people who have been falsely killed by the state and the success rates of that are not great which is really unfortunate it is. It's heartbreaking. Well, also consider I, the failure of 
executionary technology when someone like survives the electric chair you know like that is where's the justice where is where really is the justice in that i mean i think people do see that as justice like Like just suffering the invoking of suffering suffering. well yeah whether you're living or dead like the invoking of suffering or Mm. the removal of pleasure like that's that's the whole reason why we have like such monastic looking jails well, oh, so wow. Is, wait, oh. say more like say more to that. Like that's that's kind of based off of uh Michel Foucault like and his <gasps> uh Panopticon. I mean, he didn't invent this, but like yeah, the Panopticon. Um so Michel Foucault oh, is this like French philosopher mm-hmm. and he wrote a lot about like how it's it's no accident that um schools and hospitals and prisons all look alike. Like they're all based off of the monastic cell and like he traced the history of like how all of these institutions derived from the philosophy of uh, monks in various church traditions stripping themselves of earthly pleasures for the betterment of oneself. And so like any, any of these institutions that popped up originally were Christian and they were based off of the monastic cell and they've just like developed ever since like based off of that philosophy. Wow. Fascinating. Wow. So there's like, in my mind, there's something to remind ourselves of there is that it's, entirely based off of this philosophy of invoking suffering or denying yourself pleasure will somehow make you better as a human or reform you or spiritually heal you. Hmm. What's the, what do you think the hope is? Okay. Cause now my mind is going straight to like, maybe it's natural and maybe it's almost inevitable that you advocate for like a legal death penalty if you believe that the afterlife is just like that in some form of hell. Mm. Wait, what do you mean? I'm not sure I see the connection. Well, I just, if, if, I mean, if my God is willing to send that murderer to hell, am, aren't I still on God's side if I'm willing to do, like enact some permanent punishment on the same person, you know? I mean, in some ways... I, I think I see the connection you're making now, but in some ways I feel like it's more of a parallel to create like suffering systems here on earth. Like if, mm-hmm. if I'm going to follow a God that believes it's completely moral to let someone suffer for eternity, why not make someone's life hell here on earth? Yeah. Like in some ways I don't know what's worse, like having a death penalty for a system that is like thriving on making people suffer long term, or if the death penalty in some ways is a little merciful. Oh, okay. I'm not sure. I'm not quite sure if we can compare that equally, but maybe for like Christians back in the Roman era, maybe the death penalty was a little merciful. Like you didn't have to go like be a human torch. You could just be executed. I don't know. Yeah. Like Paul was beheaded. Yeah. Yeah. And that's fast. Swift. Yeah. Uh Okay. I think I see what you're saying. I just feel like the death penalty is a natural bleed over into our world if we believe that the afterlife is just like that but i guess i guess maybe i'm even talking about hell in like a final annihilation type of way where like the second death is actually death maybe there's a stronger line you could draw there do you think either of you would be morally okay with the concept of the death penalty existing legally as a concept but it was never used like if it was just always looming like technically you qualify for the death penalty. But we, the jury and the justice system are going to grant you the mercy of living out your days 
in an institution. Oh. The sword of Damocles. <laughs> the what? That it's a you look it up. It's the it's the philosophical idea of like there's always a sword yeah. hanging over your head. It's like oh. the uh the constant threat of punishment. Hmm. But it's ne- if it's never executed, if the sword never drops, or if the the if the other yeah. foot never falls, I think that may I don't know. I mean, in some ways, that's what death row is because you get so many appeals, oh, and totally. you often, even if you get sentenced, you often don't get executed for like decades. True. Yeah. Yeah. Or you die of like natural causes, anyways. I honestly would probably still be opposed to that. My gut says that i see the logic of it in saying like this could have happened to you but we in our uh, benevolence as a jury of your peers will find you not guilty of something that terrible mm. i would just prefer that it was not an option so what would be your highest form of punishment then if not capital punishment you're asking me i'm the warden now um, yeah warden steven to be honest, I just don't I just don't feel like the world should be built on punishment. Like if if we're if we're talking about conceptions of justice, I don't think punishment lives in a world with my conception of justice being more restorative than retributive. Like mm-hmm. it's not about mm-hmm. to me it's not about inflicting wounds that are equal to the wounds inflicted. Um sure. Like I don't I don't think God operates that way, so I don't think I have a right to operate that way either. So I guess at a as a category, I wouldn't even think in terms of punishment. I would, I don't. It. I mean, it's the classic conversation when you talk about even like prison reform. Is like, how do we make a prison somewhere, some place more re that's more about rehabilitation yeah. than it is about just like serving your time. What about you, Josh? I mean, that's where my mind first went to. Like both from a like a psychological and a sociological and a Christian perspective, mm. like I don't see the efficacy or the function of punishing people. Yeah. Uh, like, especially if we're going to utilize a system that was first inspired by the monastic cell that in the first place was meant to be like an incubator, an incubator, <laughs> an incubator <laughs> For spiritual health and well-being mm, and yeah. right. like what we would now consider rehabilitation. And if that was the inspiration in the beginning and we are finding now that that's not the byproduct mm. of having this as a broad, like far-reaching system of justice, then we just like need to rethink it. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. if originally we meant it to like make people better and therefore make society better and it's not doing that, then like <laughs> we need to have a better game plan. Yeah, I oh, I love the way you said that. I'm thinking about the monastic cell. I uh, to to make a like half-hearted plug for my mostly defunct blog. I wrote about this like forever ago <laughs> when COVID started. I wrote a little essay called "A Walk Through the Complex," and it worked oh, on two yeah. levels. Like I walked through my apartment complex, but it was also like about dealing with complex emotions about the pandemic. So like wordplay and. I I have a paragraph in there along the lines of like the difference between a prison cell, like we were talking about social distancing a lot in the early days of the pandemic. And I was thinking about the difference between the prison cell and the monk's cell is that the monastic cell is voluntary. Mm. And Josh, I guess you got me thinking about how like 
I don't know if there's a way to like reframe a prison system or reframe a rehabilitation. It's like you almost have to convince the person being sentenced to the prison that like there is hope on the other side. Whereas I think now the system kind of promotes basically mm-hmm. like just serve your time, you know, go back to your normal life, like find your family again and quite possibly reoffend and end up back here. You know, it's, there's no, it doesn't seem like there's any hope in the modern prison that offers anything to them. Now, some people take the initiative, take the personal responsibility in prison to like educate themselves, get all sorts of certificates and an education by reading and all that stuff. But yeah, I just think that there's something to that, that the monastic cell was voluntary. And yet Mm. in this like, Foucaultian way we've created the prison to look like that but we're the the subtext is that we all know that you're not here voluntarily Mm. Mm -hmm. that's a good distinction I like that we're gonna take a quick break to say a few thank yous then we'll be back to our conversation thank you to our generous patrons for sponsoring this episode of the podcast y'all are such a huge encouragement to us if you'd like to support future episodes of Ravel, visit patreon.com slash RavelPod or by tapping the link in the show notes. Thank you to everyone who is giving five-star ratings and thoughtful reviews on Apple Podcasts and to everyone who contributes to our weekly discussions at RavelPod on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, much love to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music in full color. And thank you to the Highline Media Network for having us as one of their founding podcasts. Here's a quick preview of a recent episode from our sister show, No Normal People. Do you like to follow any particular morning or evening routines? I think having a routine is actually really beneficial for for me. And I feel like we are creatures of habit. Every day I wake up at four, I make a cup of coffee. I do a Sudoku puzzle. I read. I meditate, I do some stretches and some foundation training, and then um, I shower and go to work. Yeah, that's pretty much my morning routine. And now, back to the conversation. Do you think that Christians, if someone's going to call themselves a Christian, do you think that they, A, should be against the death penalty? And if so, B... Do you think that they should be against the death penalty because of its like immorality or like its unreasonableness or like something along those lines? Or do you think that they should be against the death penalty because Jesus was killed by capital punishment? I think probably the former. I think there are many arguments to be made from the Bible for a moral position against the death penalty. Like when, even when my horizons began to expand toward like what I feel to be more like a more robust quote unquote pro-life position, like death penalty falls in pro-life, mm-hmm. you know? Absolutely. And it was a sin for Cain to kill Abel. It was a sin for the Romans to kill Jesus. And I, I just think it's simply a sin to kill, you know, according to the sixth commandment, you know, even that. But that gets, of course, that gets complicated because the same Mosaic law said you could stone a man to death for having a sex with a man. So Mm -hmm. I don't know what to do about that. But I think in our modern age, I think the the moral argument from a Christian perspective has to be anti-death penalty. 
and pro-life in any so every how, way. How do we interact with Christians who are for the death penalty? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, patiently. That's the best. That's, that's the best way I want to say that. We kill them. <laughs> oh my gosh! No, that has to be the answer. It has to be. <sighs> we go to literal war over it, which is also falls under pro-life. I'm anti-war. Yes. So yes, thank you. There you um, go. So no, we don't go on a crusade against pro-death penalty <laughs> people. Because they, because they would find scriptural references and. They would full heartedly and morally and ethically believe that it's valid. And, mm. you know, we're doing the same essentially by saying that we're anti. So, what do we do with that? I think that this issue is a great example of trying to highlight to someone are you trying to follow the Bible or are you trying to follow Jesus? Because those are different things. Whoa. Uh, Whoa. Snaps. Yes. Snaps. Claps. Poetry snaps. Tears. Hallelujah. And, <laughs> and I think that following Jesus does not mean subsequently follow everything that's in the Bible. Like it's such a dumb example, but just because the Bible says go kill all the Amalekites does not mean that we, the modern reader, should use Ancestry.com and track down every living descendant and wipe them all out in the genocide. Josh, you're going to make me fall out of my chair. Oh, thank and you. I, I, I don't want to come across as... Mm, like better than or smarter than, but I, I do think that some people have trouble latching on to those concepts mm. because mm. you're right that like the plain text makes it seem really plain. Like if this, it does. then that. If someone is homosexual, stone them. If you slept with another man's wife, stone him. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like it does say that very plainly. And like we learned at some point, like how to read scholarly and academically and to be more biblically literate and to like learn and grow and learn from other people's reading who have read it longer than we have. And I do think it takes a certain humility to give that to other people and not make people feel dumb and like teach people to interpret for themselves. And I think that that's a really unique challenge. And I don't think it's, I don't think everyone's cut out to do that either. Mm. Mm. I think that's something that takes time as well. Acknowledging that. We're, you know, we're in our 20s and we don't have everything figured out. And yet there are some things that we can full heartedly stand on and say yes or no to. But we know that we grew up and had people who were influencing us in what we believe and that we were able to give ourselves time to to grow and to change and to be patient with that time of saying, well, now, wait a second. Why do I believe this? Does this really make sense? And to know that we can still question it even later in the future. Mm. I think what you two are highlighting is the aspect of patience. Josh, I love the word humility, of course, injected into that. I think as well, like, of course, for humility and patience to be present, that does require some sort of relationship and like being in process with another person in a way Mm -hmm. that like. We we can disagree about this, like even vehemently, we can disagree about it. And, you know, I, I might show up at a counter protest to your protests uh, at some point. Like we could literally be on different sides of the street in that. But we have the work to, as Jesus people, like maintain a relationship and, and really like come to a place of trust so that those 
like these kind of very hard conversations can happen amongst people and that we respect each other and like we can come to some form of understanding between us. And honestly, I have recently been thinking about how that is that just feels like literally what church should be is remain mm. remaining in relationship with people that you might completely disagree with. Like and that's we yeah. we don't have to we don't have to chase that particular thread of the conversation down because that probably deserves to be an entire conversation about like the nature of church and what church is. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's our first episode when Emily comes back after maternity leave because it will be my turn to choose. Um, oh, there you go. But yeah, I just, it is a very hard conversation. And I, I think, of course, it ends up in a place where, you know, Josh, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think it does very much boil down to, are you following the lowercase word, like the Bible, or are you following the uppercase word that, the first chapter of John calls Jesus himself, like the living Christ is the word of God. And are you following that word or like the one that was written down? Mm-hmm. I think that's a big I deal. I think with this issue too, there's also, regardless of opinion, I think that there is often a confounding, like a confusion between one's faith and one's reason. Like, Oh, oh. that is so true. Do you know what I'm trying to highlight there? Like, am I against the death penalty because of my faith or is it because of Mm -hmm. reason? Like, was I convinced of a morality, which maybe I was, but on the flip side, is someone for the death penalty because of their faith or because of a reason? Yeah. And I think that that's an interesting thing to highlight too. Like those things are intertwined and like can have a relationship together. Like certainly you can be a Christian and be informed about an issue because of your faith. Wow. But yeah. sometimes you need to know why someone has an opinion before <laughs> you try to talk to them about that opinion. You know? <laughs> sure. That that does tend to help. <laughs> yeah. And it and and that's it takes the relationship, like that that common understanding of you two and being in process together to really like attempt to like learn the why before you just go after the argument. Mm-hmm. I think I've mentioned it before on the pod, but I read this book during college called Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Decides. Yeah. And it's this book that, from a sociological angle, approaches abortion and neonatal care, physician-assisted suicide, and capital punishment. And it looks at all the Supreme Court cases that influenced all of those decisions and like how each issue came to be to where it currently is wow. in the U.S. Wow. And it's a fascinating read, um, no matter your opinion on those yeah. issues, because it's a very like scientific, uh, court case heavy read. Mm. And uh, I-, I really like how the author highlights that between all of these issues, life and death can be framed as a gift or as a punishment. Oofta. Whoa. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Like in the case of capital punishment, it is literally framed as a punishment. But in the case of physician-assisted yeah. death, it's a sometimes gift. it's seen as a gift or merciful. Mm. Yeah. And it just depends on the context and the framing and like what's led up to that point. Oh, that's where it gets so tricky as well as context. There's so many individual variables at play for someone to be pro or anti insert topic here you have people who mm. 
you know, you could have two people who are impacted by someone who was murdered in their family, and one person could say the best form of punishment for that is death, and one person on the other side could say, I want to extend grace and mercy and just let justice fall where it may. And, you know, if they spend life in prison, great. If they serve whatever sentence, great. But it's all based on context and it's based on all these other elements mm. coming into play. Wow. Yeah. I want to kind of latch on to a phrase you just used, Emily. Not because I think that you actually believe this, but I do think this is an attitude out there about being against the death penalty. There's there's kind of an attitude, like a critical attitude toward being anti-capital punishment where, like you said, like, let's just see where justice, like, it falls where it may. Mm-hmm. And I do think that there's an attitude of people who are pro-capital punishment who get confused and maybe lob an argument like that, basically saying, well, like, okay, so you just want to see, like, if they reoffend and end up back in prison and you just want to keep the cycle going and you actually don't want to do anything about the problem, um, mm. you know, as long as. Yeah. And, and I think that's probably a valid argument as long as we're not, like, uh, broadening the discussion to real and, like, dramatic uh, police reform, prison reform, sure. you know, like. There are many, many things that get in there that, of course, we have to talk about. And I think maybe at a surface level, someone who is pro-capital could hear us and be like, it doesn't sound like you're solving anything. You're just like morally opposed to death. That's a good point. Well, in, in their defense, too, Jesus lived in a system where capital punishment definitely existed, and he didn't speak out against it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, he taught the Jews that he was teaching. Like, I've told, you've heard it said, I've heard I tooth for tooth, but I tell you, like, turn the other cheek. He didn't say nothing about the state shouldn't kill people. That is true. Wow. Yeah. You know? All right. All right. Now, maybe, <laughs> I think maybe his, like, entire, the trajectory of his ministry was such that, like, he he was confusing his own disciples because his disciples thought Messiah would mean something. And like the book of Maccabees mm. is all about like a political military takeover that they thought was going to be the messianic age. Yeah. But when it was squashed by another state or and another military, they were like, okay, we'll wait for the next one. And, and then, you know, rumors started growing and that people started finding Jesus as, uh, as the Messiah and like calling him the Messiah. But like Peter himself was, incredibly confused by Jesus saying like, no, I, I don't come with a sword mm-hmm. all the way up to the garden of Gethsemane. Like Jesus has to disarm him literally. Like after he, he lops an ear off a guy, like, no, we don't, we don't play this game. Mm. And I think there is some study and maybe some old Testament context that we ought to bring into like jo- Josh, I love that. I had honestly never thought about like Jesus doesn't say anything about the state. He's just trying to lead this thing over here. But I think that comes from our American context that we like we're born and indoctrinated with like separation of church and state. Whereas like the Jewish culture of the time, like Israel was the Mm -hmm. temple and Israel was the state with borders as well. Yeah. But even at the time of Jesus, they were occupied by military, by the Romans. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, I see what you're saying. Like there was not that same stark difference between church and state. Right. You know how like some people have the concept of like, I don't think the Bible actually uses this language, but like sin of omission versus sin of commission, like mm, something yeah. you did or something you didn't do. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I feel like some yeah. people also apply that to what Jesus says or doesn't say, which I think is a... Mm, I like the consistency. There's a part of me that really appreciates that because it's really convenient sometimes. <laughs> okay. Like, look, Jesus said, like, I saw this meme the other day. <laughs> it was like from a, a Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Is that the show? I haven't actually seen the show, but I, I recognize the character. Mm-hmm. And uh, the captain police officer is like, <laughs> what if this guy was Jesus? <laughs> and the caption was like, why are you not specific? Why are you not loving your neighbor? I specifically requested it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Which is, it's brilliant. Because, like, there is something that's, like, really authentic and consistent about, like, hearkening back to what did Jesus say? Because, like, if we're going to say that we like Jesus at the least, let alone follow Jesus or Christian, like, I think you're absolutely right, Stephen, too, that, like, we have to take those words more seriously. Mm. Mm. But, then it turns into like a convenience game of like, well, what did Jesus say versus like, what did he not say? Like, what did he say or not say in support mm-hmm. of the issues I believe in? Like with this capital this, punishment thing, yeah, someone could easily say, well, Jesus didn't say anything about it. So that means he's for it. But you could and, apply well, the same logic to homosexuality. Like, right. And, and you absolutely should if you're going to have that reasoning. Especially. And I think people use that for their ammunition, per se, when it comes to the Bible. Well, the Bible doesn't specifically mention this or that. And that's why they hold firm onto the things that the Bible does say, because Mm. it is plainly there. Mm. Yeah. I also, as long as we're just like piling on like readings of the Bible that we're befuddled by, I also think part of that is like we, (laughs) I I don't know if it's a lazy take or uh, just something I've felt before from certain people, but like we pretend as if like the red letters we have in the gospels was literally like everything Jesus ever talked about. Like as if it was like a voice recorder from like the time he was two years old to 33 years old, (laughs) you know? And he just didn't talk for like how many (laughs) years? He was completely silent until he was 30 and went to get baptized by John the Baptist. Right. Exactly. Like, yeah, I mean, th- there's there's an element of, like, the gospel writers put down what they thought the, was the most important, but, like, who knows? Jesus probably might have said things that the, went even so far over their head. I mean, like, I know the gospels depict a lot of times that the disciples are like, what are you talking about? But, I don't know, there might have been a level of Jesus, like, saying things that didn't even get written down because they were even that confused by it or just didn't think that was important. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know. Okay, I just had another thought. Sorry, Go this is like it. a complete backwards trip here. I liked your point earlier, Stephen, about like there being a difference between being willing to accept something versus like something being imposed on you. Isn't there some verse about Jesus going willingly or something? I feel like people love to talk oh. about it, but I don't actually know where it is. Paul talks about it. I forget what yeah. letter though. Yeah. Yeah, isn't it that verse in Philippians where he was like, um, not that equality with God was something to be grasped, but he like laid down his own life. Gosh, I'm probably butchering yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Uh, so like Paul is highlighting the self-sacrifice element of it. Mm-hmm. Isn't it interesting that the Catholic Church has historically been against suicide, even though that's like a willingly taking of one's own life? Whoa. Even though it's usually not self-sacrificial, I will admit, and like suicidal ideation is like a very real psychological issue, but like there's the willingness there, like the willingness to die. Hmm. And I know Protestants have been like a little back and forth on it, but like that attitude about death is so much more accepting than capital punishment being imposed on you. And it's, it's strange to me that like Christians would be very, very against one form of it when it's willing and very, very for another form that's not willing. Like then it just kind of goes back to like consent and all that fun stuff. Mm. Yeah. But like, that's just a really interesting dualism to me wow why i don't know where you get that from yeah because i mean another way to say like physician assisted death is like consensual Ooh, yeah Mm. Mm. emily do you think that issues like this are i don't even know how to put this like the byproduct of theologizing past what the bible actually has to say like is that why we come to like so many differing opinions on this throughout history like, for instance, the Catholic Church on suicide. Like, I think they actually changed their ruling on that. I believe Maybe. they did. I believe they did. And I would say yes, absolutely. And I think it's going to continue to happen. I don't want to say it's inevitable, but I think it's just a product of humanity being shaped by technology and history and context all at once. Wow. Josh, can you repeat your question to Emily just now? I think I'm I think I missed something. Um, yeah, how did I word it? Like are issues like this and the fact that Christians either currently or compared to historical Christians have come to such differing opinions on these issues is that difference a byproduct of theologizing beyond what the Bible or Jesus plainly teaches? Man, I love that question. I mean, like, so I am I doing theology by wearing a mixed linen threaded shirt, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. That that feels like a really dumb example, but I think that perfectly highlights another thing that we've discussed on Ravel before in that the Bible isn't necessarily like the instruction book to for like your entire life. Like there's there's an answer in the Bible somewhere for literally every question you might have but it is depicting the people of God on their story of learning about God and who this God is and building, building like it's, <laughs> it's almost like they're building the backstory for us to play D and D now, you know, like we have a world to play in, but we're going to take the story. <laughs> we're, we're taking the story in new directions and we get to write something new. Mm. We get to make, and that that's going to sound super heretical to people who are like, don't add, a single jot or tittle to the Bible, but I don't know. It's that just highlights an attitude toward the Bible that it's like the thing written in stone and that we're not allowed to like look above the stone. You know, we're we're just supposed Mm. to be like face down buried into the thing, the things in the Bible rather than recognizing that the Bible is um, crafting for us a trajectory on which to like follow the Holy spirit and follow the lure of God into our world and into our cultures. Well, I think that that's exactly what my issue is here, is that I think that everyone's doing that. 
but mm-hmm. we're not wow. all honest about that. Wow. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, no matter what your opinion is, like, Capital Punishment is a great example. I love that we started here and we, like, just started talking about, <laughs> like, comparative theology. Classic um, Ravel. Classic. Classic Ravel. <laughs> Sorry, you guys. We're back at it again. There um, we go. Like, with the Capital Punishment example, like, obviously, there are Christians who disagree about the issue, but what I think both sides need to acknowledge is that both sides both opinions are theologizing beyond yes. what the Bible is explicitly teaching through Jesus. Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, maybe... and we can't, we, I don't think we can just like go on pretending that we are the only ones with the correct interpretation. Right. Ooh. And I yeah. think it's, I think we're almost called to called to what to do that. Theologize to... beyond the Bible. Oh yeah. 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 And if you are not willing to acknowledge that, then fine. But But that's what we like about, I know that's what the three of us, that's what we like about like Jewish tradition of, um, oh no, what they, what do they call it? The word just like completely escaped my head. Midrash. Thank you. Yes. Midrash. Like that's what Ravel is, is we do this every week. We're midrashing every week and attempting to theologize through the texts that we have. I think the attitude though, Josh, is that we... Man, it, this is going to sound really condescending, but like we think that's okay, and some people don't. Mm. Which is ironic to me because some people don't feel like they're doing that, but they are. Yeah, and that's the irony to me. But I think that that's why everyone just needs to like be on the same page that like we're all doing this. <laughs> like no matter what opinion we're coming to, we're all doing sure. this. And it just gets more difficult with each topic. Great, you know what I mean. <laughs> Like we we started with topics like cults and, you know, things like that, where, you know, we had jokes here and there. And then we get to topics like this, where it's like, oh, these are some really nitty gritty things to talk about. And yet they're still being had. And regardless of what your stance is, like, Josh, you nailed it on the head. We are we are all entering this process together. Hmm. Yeah. I think it highlights too. I was I was recently looking back through our catalog. I don't know if you guys know this, but our most popular episode in the analytics is called "Is Faith Political?" And oh, wow! I don't know if that's just based on keywords. People were interested in that one and downloaded that one, but it does it, like this conversation in particular. It does draw us back to like how does our theology? How does the way we do theology? Like we're into epistemology at this point, but it's all informing how we mm-hmm. actually show up in our political world, you know? Yeah. And I think that's also good to think about, good to highlight. You know, it inspires people to literally go to protests against like an execution happening in the Bible Belt, you know, like Shane yeah. Claiborne does the work, man. And uh, yeah, it's just another way that our lives are incredibly interconnected or interconnected. And yes. That's what that's the fun of raveling is like we pulling on the thread and seeing how many things are caught up in it. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> Emily, <gasps> um, as this is your last episode for I estimate to be about two months, so eight episodes sniff, ahead sniff. of us without you. Yeah, I would uh, just like to tell you thank you for being my friend. Um, we've been Aww. friends since my freshman year of high school. I'm inc- yeah. incredibly proud of you for everything you've done, and uh, you are going to be a kick-ass mother. And Aww. um, I, I I wanted to thank both of you. Like Ravel was kind of 
born out of me starting No Normal People and just I kept taking No Normal People in theological directions. And eventually I decided that a show like this should exist. You guys didn't even know each other before we started meeting about what what Yeah, reminder that Emily and I don't actually know each other. We've never met in person. You're literally just podcasting (laughs) partners. And And if you have listened this far, you have heard the majority of our conversations. This is true. Literally. Um, so I want to thank you both for trusting me (laughs) with like yeah. Steven knows a guy named Josh and a girl named Emily. And yeah, I'm I'm down to start something. I am incredibly proud of what we've done thus far. And uh yeah, I just wanted to say thank you. We have birthed this together. <laughs> nice. It's been a the delight. The baby was Ravel the whole time. Yes. Do we have any announcements at the, at the close of the episode? Well, announcement, here? we're not going away. True. No. Yes. Keep listening. Yes. Emily's going away. I'm going away, but we have some incredible guest hosts that'll be filling in for me, and they each have awesome topics that they want to share Mm -hmm. and i think what's gonna be great about this is for our listeners and even for the host as well is we are going to get a different flavor if you will of opinions and various topics that are worth raveling out and that's what makes this podcast so great is we are now exploring new realms of possibility when it comes to conversation and topics and we really have our footing, and now that we have guest hosts, it's going to be really fun to hear how it all ravels out. I can't wait to be a listener I'm <laughs> for excited. two months. Yeah, yeah. Join the audience. Please take some notes for us. You need to tell us how bad we are. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm, gonna, I'm going to come back and rip everything <laughs> apart. Thank you. Thank you. I would expect nothing less. <laughs> yeah, this is how I know you show up in the world. Um, I guess a a reminder to people that we do still have a goal out there of reaching 20 patrons to launch a Bible study in our private discord community. Um, so close are we, if you are interested, we got, we got a, a handful to go to hit the goal. I think we're like 50% there. Yeah. Okay. A little over. We're like at 50%. Oh, but, um, so we're, we're headed that direction. We're very excited about that. Um, Speaking of the Discord community, the that memes page is popping off, you guys. We've been sharing all sorts of good memes, and I I love it. I do love a good meme. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, to all you meme makers out there, I raise the very end of my Pacific Ale to you. Hey, yes. you are the Clink your glasses you are the together. makers of memes. Cheers, Josh. We have to think about what we're gonna do at the end of every episode. Um, oh my gosh. Because we won't have Emily to do a benediction. But Emily, for the last time in two months, only two months. That's right. For would you would you close us with a banger and give us a benediction? Oh, I think I think I can. An eye for an eye or turn the other cheek, capital punishment and other various topics that are heavy to grapple with are topics that we as Christians and as people are called to discuss knowing that we tug on the thread and whatever ravels out will be left on the floor, but the conversation still needs to be had. So hang on and keep the conversations going. Bye.
Love it. Yes, queen. Marker. Marker. <laughs> I need to ask Elise if that's a real thing that film people do. Marker. I, I Marker. feel like it is, but I really don't think it is. That's very good. That's is. very funny. Also, petition to start calling benedictions bangers. Bangers. Yes. Close us with a banger, Emily. Banger. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to No Normal People. I'm Steven. And I'm Dixie Lee. The internet didn't need another podcast interviewing the same famous authors, artists, and thought leaders. Dixie, my friend Bailey educated me about a word called sonder, and this is the realization that any stranger or passerby you see has a life equally complex, deep, and vibrant as your own. So join us every Tuesday as we talk to the normal people in our lives and hopefully inspire sonder in yours. No normal people. It's like Humans of New York, but a podcast, and in Montana. Highline Media Network. Normal people in normal places.